6640. Your future lies in 6640. 66 books by 40 authors, and yet we now discover it's an integrated message system from outside our time domain. Welcome to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher is Chuck Missler, connecting the Bible to your life and the world around you. In today's study, Chuck continues his teaching on the book of Psalms, chapters 56 through 60. In Psalm 55, David wished that he had the wings of a dove so that he could fly away into the wilderness, you may recall. Well, that's, uh, that's sort of what, uh, in this psalm, his desire seems to be realized. And uh, some people would view this psalm also uh, as a picture of the Great Tribulation. And that's the dispensational perspective that some people would glean from this psalm. So let's just jump in. There's a superscription which says, to the chief musician upon the Jonathan, which is uh, uh, a a mikdam of David when the Philistines took him in Gath. Be merciful unto me, O God, for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O Thou Most High. This is from David's heart. He's fleeing. He's a fugitive. And he's got serious enemies that are out to kill him. Sanctioned by the king, commissioned by the king to do that very thing. So I think most of us have probably not been in quite that serious a predicament. But when we are in a serious predicament, I think we can begin to relate to what he is experiencing here. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. One of the consistent things we find in David, that there's so, that's the reason God can say of David, there's a man after my own heart. That David... He'll stumble and make mistakes, but his focus is invariably on God. His trust is in God. All the way through here, part of the Psalms declaration is David's continuing, unqualified, trust in God. What time I'm afraid, I will trust in thee. And uh, no, he admits he's afraid. That's probably the first step in bravery, is to admit the fear. And, uh, but he, even though he is fearful, he trusted the Lord to take care of him. And I personally, vividly, remember being in that kind of a predicament where I was literally suicidal. I was terrified and I was literally suicidal. And the only thing that kept me alive was trusting him. He either is in charge or he's not. And I was confronted with that daily. So I know the feeling. I hope I never forget that feeling. I don't want to repeat that period, but I don't want to ever forget the reality of that period. In God I will praise his word. In God I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I think anybody that's been a professional soldier, anyone that's been in the military in a serious sense, understands that. You can argue that being a soldier is the most noble profession. Greater love has no man than he that will lay down his life for his friends. And the ones that are really strong have that conviction. Every day they rest my words, all their thoughts are against me for evil. They gather themselves together, they hide themselves, they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. I remember at the 
depth of one of my deepest valleys, I was terrified. I called Chuck Smith for advice. Got on the phone. Chuck, what do I do if I'm really frightened? Really, what do you do when you're really terrified? The answer came right back. Focus on the love of God. Sounds such a cliche, doesn't it? No. Focus on the fact that God is and he loves you and he's in, he's in control. That, that takes care of it all. You really believe that. And uh, they gather themselves together. They hide themselves. They mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Oh, boy. There's no fear in love. But perfect love casteth out fear. First John 4, 18. And read the whole epistle of John, for that matter. Continuing here. Verse 7. Shall they escape by iniquity in thine anger? Cast down the people, O God. Thou tellest my wanderings. Put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. This idea of gathering tears in a bottle, we don't do that in our culture, but they did in the ancient cultures. They even had sometimes little wine, little flasks and stuff, and often they would bury it with the person in a funeral and stuff. That was a, that was a, a practice in ancient times. And he's speaking here idiomatically, of course, but put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? Can you cry without God, with, outside God's knowledge? Of course not. Not a sparrow can fall to the ground it doesn't know about. The very hairs on your head are numbered. I defy you to match that. Do many hairs are on your head? Anyone? Every time I take a shower, I have see the inventory drops a little bit here. <laughs> but he knows. He knows. When I cry unto thee, then shall mine enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. Wow. What comfort that is. And... Uh, God knows every trip you take. God is taking note of it all. And uh, Matthew Henry likes to say, the tears of God's persecuted people are bottled up and sealed among God's treasures. I think that's interesting. In God will I praise his word. In the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises to thee. Verse 10 here repeats verse 4. You think it's the same verse. Not exactly. Verse 4 used Elohim, the creator God. Here it used Yehovah, Yod-Heh-Vah-Heh, the covenant name of God. A more intimate one in a sense. And of course... <laughs> Not be afraid of man. It reminds you of Romans 8.31. If God be for us, who can be against us? Paul exclaims in his, the, the, Romans chapter 8, that masterpiece of, in the New Testament. is really an echo of these same things. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee. For thou hast delivered my soul from death. Will not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living? Paul says a similar thing in Galatians 5. You walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And uh, the, dealing with the present tense of salvation. Salvation has three tenses. Past tense, separating you from the penalty of sin. Present tense, separating you from the power of sin. And the future tense is separating you from the presence of sin. But you have the power over sin if you walk by the Spirit. And uh, the way 
Hal likes to, Hal Lindsay likes to summarize chapter six and seven. It ain't going to rain no more. R-E-I-G-N. Sin will no longer reign in your life. Yeah, you may stumble here and there, but, but uh, it no longer will have control over your life. Romans 6, walking one step at a time. Okay, that's a little psalm. There's a whole bunch of short ones here we're doing. It. So psalm 57. Now, after he fled from Gath, from the Philistines, faintly pretending to be insane, he went to the cave of Adullam. And uh, all that's in 1 Samuel 22, if you're interested in a uh, historical note there. And after that, he would move to, uh, to a cave in Engedi, and uh, 1 Samuel 24, and so forth. So, to the chief musician... Altasheth, the victim of David, when he fled from Saul in the cave. These, some of these terms here are, uh, the, the word uh, Altasheth means destroy not. And we don't know what that really means. It may have been a popular, a commonly known melody. Uh, there's all kinds of speculations. We really have no idea what was intended to, that was intended to communicate to the chief musician. It may be some kind of obscure tech, uh, musical, uh, musical term. We don't know for sure. But we do know that occasionally is when he fled from Saul in the cave. And uh, so he spent a lot of time in the caves in, in Getty near the Dead Sea, um, which is below sea level, very hot in the summer. In the winter, it's delightful, but the rest of the year, it's pretty hot there. And the cave of Adullam is also in that same area. And uh, so this is... Many, many scholars believe it's in that region that many, many of our psalms were composed. David's quite a guy, a warrior, a king, and a poet, songwriter. And not just casually, he, he, he was the primary songwriter. Okay, first verse, be merciful unto me, O God. Be merciful unto me, for my soul trusteth in thee. Boy, Easily said, but do we really? I think God finds a new way every day to ask you, do you trust me? David says, my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. Great, great prayer. In thee will. One of the things that got me through the academy experience and all that was Psalm 91. I carried it with me. One of the last things when I left home to get into the academy experience, my pastor said, gave me that, remember Psalm 91 when you're in trouble. And I, I did. In fact, my wife and I keep it on a key ring, even today. We'll get there. Not Psalm 91. I'm getting ahead of the game here. Okay. In the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge. And uh, it's too bad the nations didn't do the same thing. The nation did not do that. That's why Jesus, in, in Matthew 23, just before the end of the chapter, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I would have gathered thy hens like under, under thy wings, under my wings. That's an idiom, obviously. David said, Under the shadow of thy wings will I make my refuge until these calamities be overpassed. I will cry unto God most high, unto God that performeth all things for me. Fabulous, fabulous. Israel has yet to really come under his wings and trust him. He shall send from heaven. He shall save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up, Selah. Selah, again, is a thought connector, a pause to reflect and connect. God shall send forth his mercy and his truth. And uh, he shall send from heaven and save me from the reproach of him that would swallow me up. 
It's interesting in Isaiah 25 is the fulfillment of this or perfection. It shall be said in that day, lo, this is our God. We have waited for him. He will save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's yet future. That's yet future. But that's the the literal fulfillment of what the psalmist is anticipating. Moving on to verse 4. My soul is among lions. Who, who goes up and down in this world like a lion, seeking who he can devour? Who? Satan, exactly. My soul is among the lions, and I lie even among them that are set on fire, even the sons of men, whose teeth are spears and arrows, and their tongue a sharp sword. What's the most painful sin? What's the most painful sin? I heard it. Gossip. Now, he's talking about far more than gossip. He's talking about just overt conspiracy. But gossip is also a form of betrayal. It's also where people whose teeth are like spears and arrows and their tongue like a sharp sword. But it's so casual, so common, it causes more pain than probably any other sin you commit. It does its silent work quietly behind the scenes, destroying reputations and perspectives and injuries that are without limit. Be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. <laughs> it's too bad we don't do that. All kinds of programs and celebrations of man's achievements. You don't see many say, pointing out that God is above the heavens and his glory should be above all of the earth. But David continues, they have prepared a net for my steps. My soul is bowed down. They have digged a pit before me in the midst whereof they are fallen themselves, Selah. It's interesting how God indeed watches out for us and more often than not, our enemies are trapped by their own traps. That's exactly what David's, they have prepared a net for David, right? My steps, my soul is bowed down. And we'll talk about a couple of Psalms coming up. The whole issue of Saul, again and again and again, tried to, he twice personally tried to kill David. Every time it gets thwarted, every time it gets twisted. Even, David's, uh, even Saul's own daughter arranges for David to slip out through a window and escape by hiding a, a, a dummy in the bed and so forth. Saul was again and again frustrated. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. His heart is fixed. You know people whose heart is not fixed? We call that fickle. They'll tell you what you want to hear while you're with them, and then you have no idea what they're saying behind your back. My heart is fixed, O God. My heart is fixed. I will sing and give praise. Awake up, my glory. Awake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. Earlier he talked about lying down, now he's getting up. This is an overnight thing. I will praise thee, O Lord, among the people. I will sing unto thee among the nations. Among the nations, the Gentiles. For thy mercy is great unto the heavens, and thy truth into the clouds. And uh, be thou exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let thy glory be above all the earth. There it is, the echo again. And... uh, 
The way Gabriel translates uh, verse 8 is, is, I will wake the morning dawn, as if he's the one bringing it up. I'll wake up, my glory, I wake, psaltery and harp. I myself will awake early. And uh, the night of suffering and sin is over. Satan's rule is finished, and the morning has come, is sort of the flavor here. The sun of righteousness has risen with healing in his wings. Now, I personally am tempted to put a sailor here, but it's not in the text, so we'll just move on. <laughs> okay, Psalm 58. It's an imprecatory psalm. This, these, are, these are the imprecatory psalms, and 58 and 59 are among them. That calls down grievous things on one's enemies. It gives some New Testament readers a real fit. This is Psalm 58. It's one of the imprecatory psalms. You need to remember that David's enemies were rebels against God, not just against David. Furthermore, his interests were not just personal. He's the king of the integrity of the nation and a perpetual dynasty that God had ordained in him. The covenant people were protected under conditions of obedience. That's all through the scriptures, of course, Leviticus 26, several chapters in Deuteronomy and so on. A battle between good and evil has been going on since Genesis 3 and continues to this day. We need to understand that there is a battle going on and uh, we need to invoke God's involvement in that. You and I cannot remain neutral in this confrontation between good and evil. There is a leadership crisis in David's life and I think this is interesting because I think there's a leadership crisis everywhere you look. In, con in corporations, in our country, all shapes and sizes. During David's exile years, Saul led the nation down a path of political and spiritual ruin as he disobeyed God's law and he opposed God's anointed king. Think about that. Are there parallels? Saul was surrounded by a group of fawning flatterers who fed his ego and catered to his foolish whims. And that's all in 1 Samuel 22 and following. David himself was treated illegally. Or so was Christ. Many of David's men lost everything by taking up with David and being in his team. Probably very analogous to the signers of the Declaration of Independence, who knew when they put their signature on that document that they would give up everything they had and owned. Their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor. They pledged, knowing the cost. And virtually all of them died in ignominy. Broke, wiped out. Interesting study to get into that. Psalm 58 was probably written late during David's exile while he's running out in Gedi or wherever, or possibly early in his reign at Hebron. Those were all tough times. And it could also have been influenced by reviewing, pondering, the mess that he'd inherited from his father-in-law. Saul left him a mess that he had to not only take over, but repair. The Scripture has a lot to say about lawlessness in leaders, Isaiah 1 and 5 and 10, Amos 5, Micah 3. 
one of the most disturbing realizations I came to some years ago was when I recognized there was no accountability in our country. Then I realized we, see, we don't have loyalty to a person. We have loyalty to the rule of law. But if there's no accountability, there's no rule of law. And the rule of law has evaporated on our horizon in this country. And we're ready to reap the whirlwind. And, it's getting, and it gets worse. Whether you're looking at the courts, the schools, the economy, you can look at each sector. And you can see that we are plunging into a, a crisis that probably only God can repair for us. Anyway, this is an imprecatory psalm as David faced with the leadership crisis that he inherited. He calls down accountability on those that preceded him. To the chief musician, again, it's a miktam psalm, miktam of David. Do ye indeed speak righteousness, O congregation? Do ye judge rightly, O ye sons of men? He's addressing the lawless leaders here, in effect. Are your decisions legal, he's asking? Are your judgments equitable? Are your silences honest? Are there places you... Are you being silent when you should speak up? Or are you speaking up when you should be silent? It's part of the, 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 the thing here. This is a, a, an imprecatory prayer, and David's enemies are all around him. Yea, in heart ye work wickedness. Ye weigh the violence of your hands in the earth. The wicked are estranged from the womb. They go astray as soon as they are born speaking lies. That's human nature. That's the sin nature. That's what's wrong. Unjust judges are liars. And because of sin and the sin nature in man, God established laws and government. For without laws, society is chaos. That chaos is forthcoming the amplification of the root sin nature in the first place. As soon as they are born, speaking lies. Their poison is like the poison of a serpent. They're like a deaf adder that stoppeth her ear, which will not hearken to the voice of wisdom. They, they, um, uh, what, a serpent is a symbol of whom? Who is like a serpent? Satan, you got it, right. Break their teeth, O God, in their mouth. Break out the great teeth of the young lions, O Lord. Who goes about, see, both lions and snakes are allusions here, idiomatically, of whom? Satan. Break their teeth in their mouth, and so forth. Let them melt away as waters which run continually when he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows. Let them be as cut in pieces. Uh, backing up uh, just a bit here, what we're going to have here from verse 6 on, are six destructions that David will call down upon uh, his enemies. And uh, uh, break out the teeth of the, of the lions. And, of course, snakes and lions are idioms, of course, of, of, of sin and Satan. And he's speaking again, as enemies, again, he's calling for justice. And the second of these six things, let them melt away as waters which run like a flood. Wickedness is, the wickedness is like a flood here. And he asked that this flood of wickedness might just melt away. And in this verse is a, is a third of the six destructions. And that's like a marksman that, uh, who is shooting at him. When he bendeth his bow to shoot his arrows, let them be as cut in pieces. Again, it's a call for help. As a snail which melteth, 
You know, there is a certain, I thought this was just a poetic phrase, but I gather from the commentators, there is a snail uh, in that country that uh, uh, is called a slime worm that actually melts away in the heat of the sun. But whether it's idiomatic or, uh, you know, uh, physiological, whichever, let them, every one of them, pass away, like the untimely birth of a woman, that they may not see the sun. You see, in one case, he's saying the enemy's leaving a slimy trail, but evaporate him, that's sort of what he's saying. Get rid of that slimy trail of the world. And then the fifth of these six is that uh, he, he, uh, he made the things that they plan be uh, in the evil womb of their mind, not come to fruition, is sort of the idiom that's being used here. May they come to naught, is the basic idea. And then the last of the six, be, before your pots can feel the thorns, he shall take them away as with a whirlwind, both living and in his wrath. The twigs of the bramble bush are gathered together and put under a pot to heat it, but then the wind comes along and blows it all away. It's sort of the idiom that's envisioned here. In other words, God removed them before they do their dirty work, before they burn and sear. In other words, frustrate the evil ones, is what he's suggesting. The righteous shall rejoice when he seeth the vengeance. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. And that's a strange idiom for you and I, but they were accustomed after a battle of going through and picking up things, but their feet would be washed in the blood of the losers. It's, it's, a, it's a victor's walk among the vanquished, if you will. He shall wash his feet in the blood of the wicked. So that a man shall say, verily there is a reward for the righteous, verily he is a God that judgeth in the earth. And uh, so, basically what David is doing here is calling on the Lord to bring vengeance. He's not taking vengeance himself, he's asking the Lord to do it. And that's exactly what Deuteronomy 32, 35, vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. Hebrews 10.30 says the same thing. And Romans 12.19 says essentially, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. You've been listening to 6640, the ministry outreach of Koinonia House and Koinonia Institute. Today's Bible teacher was Chuck Missler, teaching through the book of Psalms. For a complete listing of resources available, please visit khouse.org. Or you can call us on 1-800-KHOUSE-1. To learn more about Koinonia Institute, visit koinoniainstitute.org. Thank you for listening to 6640 and for your continued prayerful support of this ministry. Until next time, as we continue this series, may God bless you with the knowledge of His Son, Jesus Christ, as you study His Word. Music